before we read the passage, uh, let me put this passage into the context of the writing of the book because that's what should drive the application of it to our lives. Uh, an important question uh, always to ask yourselves before studying a passage is, why did the author write it? Why did the author write? Why did Luke write the book of Acts? Well, the author uh, here, Luke, we know has written us uh, a two-part series. Uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book that we're studying, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, he tells us why he wrote these books. He wrote them for a person named Theophilus, and he wrote them so that Theophilus, uh, his, that he might have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. Luke uh, has done historical research. He's checked with eyewitnesses. He has compiled this information uh, about Christ so that the reader uh, may have certainty concerning these things. He wants to bolster the faith of those who would read Luke and Acts. Now, many skeptics today will say, oh, well, the Gospels were legends that Jesus' followers made up. You hear that quite a bit in our day and time. Well, Luke's introduction challenges this hypothesis. He's saying, look, I've done the research. I've talked to eyewitnesses. And, and for part of it, he was actually there, as we'll find out as we read through the book of Acts. And he's saying, if you don't believe what I'm writing, go check the eyewitnesses. They're still alive. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. He tells, uh, he tells the, the Corinthians, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So Paul's saying, look, if you don't believe me about the death and resurrection of Christ, check the eyewitnesses. There's over 500 of them, and most of them are still living today. And those people would have the opportunity to go and talk to the eyewitnesses about it. So when people tell you, oh, that's just a bunch of legends made up, the scriptures itself say, look, we challenge, challenge that hypothesis. You can go, you know, they, they had many people around, as we'll see in Luke chapter 4 when we get there. There were many people who had a vested interest in making this go away, this Christianity thing. They didn't want people talking about Jesus. So there were many people who should have taken Paul and Luke up on their offers to check the eyewitnesses. But the truth still stands, and the word is delivered to us today, 2,000 years later. So Luke is writing this two-part series to confirm the faith of the reader. And in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he is telling us, as he says in Acts 1, chapter, uh, verse 1, all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke, the Gospel, is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is that in Acts, he is telling us all that Jesus continued to do and teach. Hence the title, uh, my title of my sermon. Jesus continues. What is he continuing to do even after his ascension to heaven? He's risen from the dead. He appeared to the disciples for 40 days. He's ascended to heaven, but he's still at work. And that's what the implication is there through Luke. So through his people, 
Jesus continues to build his kingdom, his church. Acts is recording the beginnings of that work Jesus is carrying out even today until he returns. So that sets the context a bit. Uh, what, what question are we addressing today? And this is it. What can we know for certain about what Jesus continues to do and teach today based on this passage? What is Jesus, that we, we can find out from this passage, what is Jesus continuing to do and teach today? What can we find out about what Jesus is doing today? Let's read the passage, Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you have delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you deny the Holy and Righteous One and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Well, there are signs all around us, and I'm not talking about crop circles and blood moons or the planets lining up, not those signs that the universe 
is giving us, but I'm talking about stop signs and street signs and exit signs and signs in front of buildings that tell us what business uh, inhabits that building, McDonald's or the courthouse or First Presbyterian Church, as our sign says out front. There are signs everywhere, and they are necessary for life. Now, can you imagine trying to drive around without any street signs at all? I mean, if you're a long-term resident of Biloxi, you might not have a problem. But uh, as uh, many of you know, and and many of you are uh, relatively new to the area, it would be very difficult to get around without any street signs. It would would be chaos, and and you wouldn't know anything for certain about where you were. Signs are important. And in the passage before us today, we have a sign, and we've been warned about that it was coming. In, in uh, chapter 2, verse 43, it tells us that awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Here in chapter 3, this healing of the lame man is the first of those signs and wonders that is recorded for us. So it begs the question, what is a sign when the Bible talks about uh, a sign? Well, a sign points to something, as we know. And the wonders and signs in Scripture serve to authenticate the ministry of the person sent from God. You think of Moses or Elijah and Elisha or, or Jesus or the apostles. They, they did miracles, but these miracles were to authenticate who they were and, and their message. These miracles were not just naked displays of power, but signs. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 2, 3 through 4, tells us that the purpose of miracles in the early church was to show listeners the truth of the gospel message the apostles brought. A survey of the Bible shows that miracles are not distributed uh, randomly and evenly throughout history, but they come in clusters. When God sends a new set of messengers into the world with a new stage of revelation, there are really only three stages where there are clusters of miracles. You have it during the time of Moses and the Exodus. You know, uh, Moses went to Pharaoh and he, he had some miracles in hand that he did. The ten plagues, etc. that show that, yes, I am from God. I have a message from God for you, Pharaoh. Let my people go. And that those miracles, those plagues, authenticated his message. In the time of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets before the exile, they brought a message from God warning the people of what was coming if they did not turn again to the Lord. And those miracles that they performed authenticated their message. When Jesus came to earth, he came working miracles, and it showed that he was from God, he was the Son of God, and he had this power. And now we find that the apostles are doing signs and wonders, and it's it's meant to authenticate their message. We are uh, representatives of Christ, and these these miracles uh, authenticate that, yes, we're doing this through the power of Christ, and our word is from Christ. The miracles in scriptures... Uh, in Scripture, should not be not, should not be seen so much as models that we should seek to repeat, like some television preachers would like for you to, 
but they are evidences of divine authority for God's special messengers. Miracles authenticated the ministry of certain people. And since we aren't apostles, the apostolic age is past, apostles had to be people who were witnesses to the resurrection. Since that age is past, we don't see the miracles like we did in those days. Those were signs to authenticate the ministry and message of the apostles. Now in the case before us, Peter says in verse 12, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? He goes on to say in verse 16, It was through Jesus, it's in his name, by faith in his name, that this man is made strong and healthy. So Peter interprets the, the sign for them. He says, look, it's, it's not by my own power. Uh, it's not because I'm such a religious or pious person that I was able to make this man walk, but Jesus Christ did it. He worked powerfully through us, through his representatives, through his ambassadors. Christ is not dead. This is proving it. But he's still working. He's living and he's active through his people, through his representatives, through his ambassadors. So that's what the sign is for. It authenticates the message. It points to some truth. And I want to highlight three things. There are many things that we could point out, but three things that I think will uh, be helpful to us today to understand what these, this sign is pointing to us. Now the first thing that this sign points out for us is, is the power of Christ. Christ is still at work. Uh, Christ is, you know, they may have thought, uh, the people in that day, that yes, we buried him. We crucified him, we buried him, he's gone. And yeah, some of these people are saying he rose from the dead, but uh, we don't believe that, or you know, that was a point of contention. And now that he's not physically present, he's ascended, the disciples are saying, look, he is still alive. And this sign proves it, because we didn't do it in our own power, Christ did it through us. We do it in his name, as his representatives. And he's got power. Look at the power that is on display here. Now, this man's physical ailment, it was not just a, a passing injury. You know, he, he didn't just hurt his knee and was unable to walk, but it was a congenital, severe, and permanent ailment that he had. Verse 2 tells us he was a man crippled from birth. And verse 22 of chapter 4 tells us that, that uh, he was the ma a man on, uh, who was more than 40 years old. So for over 40 years, this man had been crippled from birth. But through the power of Jesus, this beggar, crippled from birth for more than 40 years, in an instant is transformed to someone who is walking and leaping and praising God. His life is completely transformed. Think about that for a moment. You've seen those nature shows, uh, especially the baby giraffes, you know, when, when they're born and they, they kind of have these long gangly legs and, and they stumble around for a bit before they get the hang of walking. This man, he never learned to walk. He was crippled from birth. But here he is, rising up, and he's walking. And not only is he walking... But he's jumping around like a crazy person. He's so excited, he's leaping, and he's, he's just jumping for joy. He didn't even have to learn how to walk. That's the power of Jesus on display. One minute, he is laying there, 
without any power to walk whatsoever, never having learned how to walk, the next moment he's jumping around, celebrating uh, the recovery he has made that Christ has given him. You know, it would have been amazing enough if he had just stood up like a baby giraffe and kind of stumbled around. But no, he's running around, leaping and jumping. That power that instantly transformed this man's life is still at work today. Transforming power. Power to change. Jesus Christ continues to transform lives with his power, even today. Can Jesus Christ change your life? There's no doubt about it. You might not think change is possible. Some people have given up thinking that change is possible. But the good news about Jesus tells us that not only is change possible, it is promised and it is inevitable for the one who turns to Christ. He will change you. Now, you might say, well, I've not seen many miracles lately. But remember the purpose of a sign. The purpose of a sign is to authenticate the messengers and their message. This miracle is not something that is going to be repeated, but it's a demonstration of Christ's power through his ambassadors, and it's just a picture of of the transforming power that Christ has. We'll talk more about this in a minute, but my family uh, has a business, a commercial fishing business, and back in the in the early 90s, one of the boats, one of the fishing boats, drug up a clump of coins, silver coins. And it turns out that they've discovered the remains of a Spanish galleon called the El Cazador, which was filled with over 400,000 silver coins. I have a couple of coins from that shipwreck, and I have certificates of authentication for each of those coins. Now, every time I pull that coin out, uh, I don't need to have a new certificate of authentication. I, I don't need for somebody to say yes, to come by or give me a phone call and say yes. No, I've got a certificate one time that I can show that says yes, this is indeed uh, the coin that it says it is. In the same way, the miracles we have here at the beginning of the New Testament are the certificates of authentication of the apostolic message. We proclaim their message, which is the message of Christ, which was authenticated when the, first, when the apostles first proclaimed it. And that's enough. We don't have to have any more miracles. Miracles don't create faith. They confirm our faith. This lame man really was healed by the power of Christ working through the apostles. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ can change your life? The sign tells you that he can, no matter how impossible it seems. This this miracle tells us that Christ can change that person that we look at and think there's no possible way they'll ever change. The change, change is possible through Christ, and no one is beyond his reach or his power. That's what the sign tells us, first of all. And the second thing the sign points to is that, well, it points to our greatest need. The sign points to our greatest need. Now, this gets to the, to the, to the idea of the miracles. Now, this lame man thought his greatest need was money. That's what he was asking of people. He wasn't going around asking people, 
uh, yeah, you, do you have a cure for lameness? Or, uh, you know, is there any miracle cure that you can provide for me? No, he was asking for money. That was his, that he felt was his greatest need. And when Peter and John speak to this man, he thought he was about to get some money. Uh, he, he, he looked at them expecting, it tells us, to receive something. But he, but he got no money. But he received something far greater than money could buy. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. We find out in chapter 4 that he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. He's with the disciples. Now, what do you think is your greatest need today? Many people today think like this man, that their greatest need is money. It's usually people who have no money or not enough money. And the thought is, if I just had more money, my problems would be solved. But that's not your greatest need just like it was not this man's greatest need. Now, we might think that healing was this man's greatest need, and that certainly was a great need for this man, but that's not his greatest need. I know this because Peter does not offer healing to anybody else. You'll notice that when Peter talks, he doesn't say, now everybody who needs to be healed, line up, and I'll heal you. There were certainly other people there who needed healing. It was a place where people uh, gathered who were collecting alms. There would probably have been a number of, of blind people, of lame people, who were sitting there at the gate collecting money from the people who came into the temple to worship God at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, as was the custom. So when, when Peter begins to explain what's happened here, he doesn't offer uh, healing. And certainly, just like in, in a group even this size, there, there's certainly been more people there in that day than there are here today. Even in a group this size, I can look out and I know that there are some people here who are suffering from some serious illnesses. And there would have been the same or maybe even more in that day, at this moment, in that place. But Peter doesn't offer that. He doesn't offer healing. It was obviously uh, uh, something more that was needed for each person there. Peter's message was what was important. And he tells us three things that uh, was really needed. Verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets not long ago. See, Peter is not promising health or wealth like some preachers will have you believe. He's not promising money or healing or a miracle. Now, I know someone today who is tempted to abandon their faith in God because God will not give them the miracle they want. They misunderstand the purpose of a miracle. That's not their or our greatest need. Peter pointed out three things we need more than anything else. First of all, we need for our sins to be wiped out. That's the first thing he mentions, verse 19. And, and the Greek there means to wash off and obliterate without a trace. We need them gone. We need those sins gone. And that's what he's saying can happen through the power of Christ. Your sins can be obliterated, 
gone forever. Our sins can be as if they had never been committed by the power of Christ. Secondly, you need times of refreshing from the Lord. Now that's a sublime word, that word that is translated refreshing there, because it it means a couple of things, but it means relief from distressful, burdensome circumstances. Relief. Breathing space. I got that from a Greek lexicon. It means breathing space. You know when your life is so stressful and and trouble is weighing you down and your burdens seem too heavy to carry? this This is that moment when those burdens are lifted. When the stress is gone. And you can just take a deep breath and relax. That's what he's saying. You can have your sins washed away completely. And you can have a time where you can just breathe and be. It is a sublime word. It it talks about being encouraged and refreshed and a recovery of happiness. That's what we really need. That's what Peter is, is offering to these people. Forgiveness and refreshment. And you'll notice that it, it uh, in relation to the second item, that Peter says Christ blesses us by turning us from our wicked ways, verse 26. So God's doing more than just forgiving. He's giving a changed life, changing the character, our heart, our behavior with an infusion of His power. Wiping out sins is always accompanied by joy of heart and change of life. That's what's being offered here. And third, the third thing that he says we need is for that ultimate restoration of everything, as he promised long ago, verse 20. See, it's not just uh, us as individuals, uh, personal restoration of the soul, but when Christ returns, he's going to restore all of creation. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be regenerated in all that's wrong and broken will be renewed. See, we may not get the healing we want today, but we will one day. One day everything's going to be restored and all uh, the consequences of sin, our own and the original sin that Adam created that caused the brokenness in the world uh, to be there in the first place, all that's going to be gone. All that's going to be gone and everything is going to be made new. And there will be no more sin or sorrow or disease Uh, or lameness, or blindness, or cancer, or any of these things that weigh us down. Healing, your miracle that you might be tempted to desire from this, uh, may not come today, but it will come to the one who has turned to the Lord, put his faith in Christ. That will come one day. Well, finally, the sign points to the necessity of faith, very briefly. Notice that the man is healed as he gets up. Verse 7, he took him by the right, he says, you know, in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And then, immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. See, divine power comes to us in the act of faith, not before. Peter takes the man by the right hand. The man had to agree to take his hand to try to stand up, that, that would have been a difficult thing for someone who had been for 40, over 40 years laying there on the mat unable to walk. But he reaches out, he takes him by the hand, 
And as he got, gets up, that's when he's healed. He also mentions repentance. Those two things go together. Repentance and faith always go together. Repent and turn back, verse 19 says. You know, turn away from sin. Turn away from your own way and turn to Christ and put your trust in Him. And as you do that, you will experience the transforming power of Christ. And you will experience the refreshing that comes from having your sins washed away and hope in a future restoration that will come when Christ returns. And you can look to that day with confidence knowing that He's not coming as your judge, but as your Savior. So I want to encourage you all today. Do you want to experience the life-transforming power of Christ? It's on offer. It's your greatest need. All we have to do is to repent and put our life in His hands, trusting Him. Let's pray together. Now may the love of God